This is Doing Good Through Food. I'm Alex Coffin, and today my guest is Amanda Weeks. Amanda is CEO and founder of Ambrosia, a New York-based company that combines waste management with closed-loop manufacturing. They noted that the largest component of food waste is water, and that inside the 1.3 billion tonnes of food wasted globally each year is 45 trillion gallons of water. So, using their specialised biorefining process, they take food waste, they recover the water and upcycle the residual components into an array of products. And Ambrosia are currently launching their first product, Veles, a multi-purpose cleaner made with ingredients taken entirely from waste materials. Um, they're able to say that it's the world's first closed loop cleaning product and that it's actually resource negative, which is quite an amazing thing. Um, I'm really excited to be talking to Amanda today. I'm looking forward to delving into and discussing this this uh, fan- fascinating and really creative approach that Ambrosia are taking to address our massive food waste problem. So, Amanda, welcome to Doing Good Through Food. Thank you very much. And that was an excellent intro. No, oh, thank you very much. And you said just before we started that uh, that you might, I asked you for the pronunciation of LS and you said there's a story there. So maybe yes. we could start with that. Yes. So I pronounce it differently all the time. Okay. My my mother asked how to pronounce it, and I said, "Say it however you want." Um, so Ambrosia, the name Ambrosia, is for the food and drink of the ancient gods that made them immortal. And we uh, named the company that to imply immortality, circular economy uh, through food. And so our products uh, are named for different ancient gods. So Velas is an ancient shape-shifting god of water, earth, and magic, which we felt tied in well with um, you know, the value proposition of the product. And given that it's a shape-shifting god, and one of the things that we debated internally when we decided to go with this name is whether or not people are going to be able to say it, whether they're going to say it correctly. And I decided that I didn't care <laughs> and that I thought that it was it would add a another layer to the story of the product and the story of the brand for it to be fluid and for people to kind of say it however they want. Um, so sometimes I say Velez, people on my team say Velez. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I usually say Velez. But I, I I allow I allow other pronunciations. So oh, I love it. Whatever you want. Whatever <laughs> you want. I, I think I think I said Velez. I I think I'll stick with that. All right. So the first thing that I, I I really want to talk a lot about the product, but I actually wanted to, I suppose maybe ask you a couple of questions about yourself, just to just sort of before we get into that, because I was really interested in where where this idea came from and how you got into it you know I was, I was looking um at what I could find on you know ahead, ahead of this conversation and it seems like early on you had a um you know your background was sort of in in arts you know very early on gallery cur- curation and then your career was like sort of research and analytics and measurement kept coming up sort of over and over again you know this this expert um becoming an expert in quantifying and measuring you know, all manner of things. And I was just wondering where where in all of this did the idea to address food waste come? What what sparked this, you know, this uh, aim of doing something with food waste for you? 
Well, being a native New Yorker, I grew up several miles away from what used to be the biggest landfill in the world. So um, from a very early age, I thought it was uh, completely normal and that everybody had a giant landfill that could be viewed from space in the middle of their town. So this is something that growing up, I never really thought about too much, but it was just something that I was just, I think, just more aware of than most people, where our trash goes when it leaves the curb and what that looks like. And that it never really goes away. Um, And then I, yeah, I ended up having a pretty varied career. You know, I I think that I just kept gravitating towards towards, uh, new and different opportunities, but felt a little stagnant a couple of years ago. So I've been working on this now for about six years, maybe about seven or eight years ago, I started getting interested in food in food systems, where food comes from in nutrition. Um, and then volunteered at an urban farm where they were composting and then just started gravitating more towards food waste as a problem, which at the same time, dovetailed with a number of mandates that were passed in uh, various cities and states in the U.S. So I started looking at this problem at a time when solutions to it were being sought. And there was a bit of a mismatch there where there was this demand that was growing for food waste solutions that were being regulated by law. However, there Uh, lacked a real and sustainable and scalable solution for uh, for municipal food waste. And when, so this sort of interest was there, and when when did this sort of switch from an interest that's, you know, sort of a focus, an interest, a a thing you were, you know, beginning to care more and more about to actually, I'm going to start a company, I'm going to, I'm going to that's going to be my, the way that I tried to do something about this. It was in early 2014. Hmm. So I spent all of 2014 testing out ver- various ideas, talking to potential investors, talking to potential customers, meeting people in the industry and growing my network and interviewing engineers and um, scientists and people who were in this space to try to get a handle on what's been done before, where is the industry, where are the opportunities. And I came up with a early concept of the process that we use today. And one of the biggest insights that I had during this time was how much water is in food waste. And the water content is a big part of why food waste is so difficult to handle. It's very heavy. The entire waste industry is priced by weight. And so you have food waste in these long haul trucks going to landfills that are very far away because nobody wants them around anymore. And it's, it's a volatile material. It's very heavy. It's leaky. And then you have this huge cost through the wear and tear on the vehicles that are trucking uh, this waste around, and then as well as all all the you know, environmental issues that occur when that food waste goes into a landfill, it continues to break down, 
causing methane emissions, but then also releasing all of that water into a environment where there are batteries, there are metals, and then you end up having, you know, all this water that becomes very polluted. And a big part of landfill management is actually uh, wastewater remediation. So you, at, at this point, you were pitching, pitching an idea or did you, did you have the, was it just sort of an idea that this was something that could be done or were, were people saying that was the, the technical know-how around to mm-hmm. to do something about it it was just that people hadn't perhaps put it together in the way that you had was this right. something totally totally new yeah it was it was that um it was a timing thing so was, uh, people had tried to do similar things to this but it was a little too early and there wasn't the market for food waste solutions that there is today and then yes, we we took a, a bit of a different approach. We put things together differently. I like to say that food waste is more of a materials handling problem than a scientific problem. We don't have this fancy bacteria or this fancy black box that's doing this crazy thing. It's more about that it's a it's a mechanical process. Um, and it's more similar to um, a manufacturing process than to some kind of, um, uh, you know, scientific breakthrough. And so when, when um, you were sort of pitching this to, to investors, say, what was the interest? I mean, this, you said you were starting in sort of 2014, mm-hmm. sort of you know, a few years around there. I mean, was it, was it a difficult sell initially or have people, is it one of those ideas people hear it and they're saying, you know, yes, why aren't we doing this? That's because it, it sounds, you know, like it ticks so many boxes at this point, but back then, was it a difficult thing to talk into existence? You know, was it was it uh, a challenge? Yes, it was very difficult. So in 2014, this was mostly still an idea that I was validating. And in 2015 was when I met my co-founder, who's a machinist, and then we started building and, and working on prototypes and, and proving that out. But through, I would say through up until last year, it was hard to raise money for, especially in the startup world where you're competing for funds against software companies that have a more straightforward business model, that have uh, investors who have more experience in that space so they know how to evaluate those opportunities. And um, and also it just is viewed as being less capital intensive. So when I was first fundraising, I, the first serious fundraise that I did was in 2016. And I had many investors that I met with that said, this is great. Personally, I'm really for it. I wish you a lot of luck, but this is not venture fundable. You know, this is not going to be a big business. And I really had to, in all of my pitches, spend a huge amount of time teaching investors about the waste industry and about how big the waste market is and about how the demand for solutions in this space were growing and were stable. Um, And so I did have a, a couple of investors that saw that opportunity and became champions for us. But some of them initially were skeptical. So I um, I initially had a 
uh, had a very hard time. People kind of looked at me sideways and thought it was weird. And now food waste is something that is is a space that's really heating up. I see you know, new startups and uh, tackling different aspects of the food waste problem um, popping up all the time now that are raising more money and getting more fanfare um, because I think that it's a it's something that has um, become a little bit more mainstream. So this. I mean, I suppose we're kind of moving a bit more to the to the products here, but the um, just you know, with the food waste, what where where are you taking it from, and was it was it sort of is is there a limit on what can and can't be used in your process? I mean, obviously, food waste is a is an enormous problem, and food waste is is a sort of you know a giant thing, as we said. But is it difficult to find? Is the kind of waste that you need or is is it am i overthinking that is it just you know is it much more straightforward yes and no so um it is straightforward and you're not overthinking it so a big goal of ours was to develop a solution for mixed food waste so for food waste where it didn't have to be a certain kind and we could take everything. We could take meat and bones, etc. And so that is what our process does. We take in everything because that's a really, you know, I, I think um, where a lot of the demand is, it's in municipal food waste. That's where the laws are, are regulating commercial waste. So food waste coming from a restaurant or a hotel or a supermarket. And so you can't really discriminate if you want to provide a real solution. So that was something that was very important to us and that we we designed our process to be able to accept. But a lot of other um, types of solutions need more predictability or need um, more specific inputs. But for us, we um, we're able to take anything and um, and there's a lot of it. So we we partner with the waste haulers. So we partner with the trucking companies. So they come to us instead of going to a landfill, which saves them money because um, we're much closer. But that's how we um, we we work direct with the haulers, not with the the food waste generators. Okay, is that sort of in partnership or sort of with with your? counties or you know municipalities i'm not sure what the what the kind of regional right. term is in the states but um is is that kind of does that have some sort of government or government backing or is it sort of directly with the the haulers themselves so it's directly with the haulers so in, in the US the waste industry is mostly private and in new york city commercial waste is handled all by private haulers the waste for residents is handled by the city. But then the city, once they collect it, if they take it to a recycling facility or to a landfill, that's private. So the the city doesn't own that whole life cycle. And so this is something that's supported by the city. It's regulated by the city. The mandate for food waste recycling in the private waste industry came from the city so there's involvement there but we it's not it's not something where um where we would necessarily contract 
with the city. It depends on the on the waste stream. Right. Can you just take the waste as it becomes available, treat it through your process and, and store the outputs? Or is this um do you, or do you need a sort of constant supply? I mean, is, is there a shelf life from the point you get the food waste? Yes. Yeah, so that's or can, what can you just take on take on whatever whatever there is? Sorry. Yeah, I oh, know, of course. Um, mm. Yeah, so that's what we've been doing in our demo facility. We operate about every other week, mostly for R&D purposes. So we've been working on scaling up our process, optimizing it, and also working on our various end products. So when we intake waste, we can then store the outputs. And that's what we have been doing. So our first run of Velas has been produced over the last several weeks um, and is going to all go to the uh, fulfillment uh, vendor next week, actually, to bottle our first run. But that run was made over the course of um, of several intakes. That's exciting. This is sort of imminent. That's uh, that's got to be exciting. But there's, so there's no kind of um, if there's no shelf life on it after that point, you can really you're only limited by the capacity. I suppose you have to store these things ultimately so that it is it could scale to quite a well sort of as, as far as you have storage for it by the sound of it correct yes ideally we're using space for intake and processing but we are able to store because a core aspect of our process is that we are stabilizing and sterilizing the material mm-hmm. and then separating it out into forms that are shelf stable whether they be completely dried solids or stable liquids. The stable liquids, I mean, is that just, is it just sort of pure water or it sounds like there's, there are different things within that? Is that yes. So, right? yes. And so a big part of our process is to then clean out what's in the water, which we call a broth. So when we, remove the water. It comes out in a couple of different stages and it looks actually kind of like kombucha. Mm -hmm. And from there, we use a couple of different methods to purify that water through filtration, through evaporation, so that we are removing the suspended solids, the nutrients, the other components that are in the water that byproducts of fermentation and uh, right now, that, that's a big focus of ours, is filtering out that water. And that's how we ended up with the cleaning product. So through the process of cleaning out and purifying and concentrating um, the broth, we discovered that one of the byproducts of doing that um, was this aqueous solution of organic acids and alcohol. Organic acids and alcohol being, you know, common um, cleaning product okay. ingredients, and so this was an accident. We developed Velas out of an accidental discovery that a byproduct of this process that we were developing to isolate the the compounds and recover and clean the water from food waste was yielding a product that when we sent it out for lab testing, performed extremely well as a cleaner. Amazing. 
I mean, obviously, you were kind of developing this process with other products in mind. What, what, what was it that made you sort of think, you know, this is the thing, you know, Velus is the product to launch mm-hmm. with. It's, it's, um, cause I mean, presumably the other, other products would have ticked lots of boxes too. What, what was it about this? Well, we were initially uh, planning to make a fertilizer. So in the early stages of the company, when I was talking about when, when I was fundraising in the uh, earlier years, we were making a fertilizer. And it was the, this um, sort of pelletized, solid, like brown uh, product that actually performs really well as a fertilizer and we've done a lot of work on it, but it just wasn't exciting to people. I would bring in this like bag of brown pellets to an investor meeting Mm. and they would be like, ew, that's gross. Um, (laughs) Like, what is this? You're like, who let you in here? Um, And I'm like, it's from food waste. It's a fertilizer. It's great. And they're like, no. Um, Mm. And so, you know, it was through that process of, you know, working on this fertilizer product feeling like it wasn't exciting investors. It also wasn't an area that I knew very well. So we planned to sell it to farms. But in order to do that, we would need to have tons of data because a farm's not just going to buy something like that that could really affect their yields and their livelihood. Um, And so this is something where it was going to have a long development cycle it was an area that you know I didn't have any contacts in, in agriculture, and it just seemed like something where it was going to take a long time for it to for it to gain traction. And in the startup world, you can't take a long time to to do things, and we've ended up taking a long time to do this. So it <laughs> it kind of um, worked out evenly. But when when we discovered the cleaning product, which happened about two years ago. It was an area that I felt more comfortable in. Like I have a background, as you mentioned, I have a background in consumer insights. I worked in marketing for several years. Uh, I worked at an at an agency where I was predominantly working on Unilever brands, and so I, I felt more confident about launching a cleaning product direct to consumer than I felt about developing and selling a fertilizer. And it was just something that I also felt people would be more excited about. And it was more differentiating. There are lots of other companies that are making fertilizers from food waste. And so I felt like this was something where it would be more of a stake in the ground. It would be more consumer facing, more exciting. Um, and it was also just a, an, um, an area that I felt more comfortable in. And did you find that um, the investors kind of bought into it as well? You know, when you turning up with the bottle as opposed to the food pellets do they do you feel that people just sort of get that got it more or um i do yeah Mm. yeah and also uh reframing the purpose of the company and the way that we talk about our process to be more about the water and that our our process is about recovering water and then we end up with all these other compounds that we can then make products with as opposed to we're making this fertilizer and then we're, we have all this water left over and we're going to do something with that it's just mm-hmm. just orient it in a way that that I have found um yeah it just just clicks a little bit better it's like people can visualize that a bit more so you're in the you're just gearing up to launch it's it's sort of imminent and you you're on 
taking pre-orders i think limited availability if mm-hmm. um and i mean how is it how's it going i suppose is the question is is the what's the uptake being like for this this sort of initial initial run mm-hmm. so we haven't been driving to our pre-sale page very much we've decided to save our ad budget for when the product is available um, which is going to happen in about two weeks Um, our full e-commerce site is going to launch um, by uh, the first week of february at the latest and we're also working on um our uh, media coverage right now so we we've we've sold some bottles and which has been great because we haven't been doing anything um mm-hmm. to uh to make anybody aware of that or to drive there um but i think that in february is when we're more so going to start getting the brand out there um and and trying to drive sales which is just something that we're not really doing quite yet when this this launches i mean you mentioned if this is a this is a customer facing product this is sort of domestic use mm-hmm. at this stage is is the is there a sort of any any ambition to to sort of launch this as a commercial kind of a product as well or would that would that pull in the same kind of um you know need for data as, as selling the pallets to farmers would would it mm-hmm. would it be more difficult in that way no not more difficult at all and it's something that we're looking at and i think that once we launch the direct consumer channel is an area that we will put a little bit more focus into, but it's more about the big picture. So when I go to fundraise and and, uh, raise our next round in a couple of months, if I'm talking to investors who have heard of the product and have seen ads for it or have seen an article about it because it's consumer facing, Mm -hmm. I think that that buzz will help us will open more doors for us and help us raise our next round. We're also looking at partnering with other products companies to develop products for their lines from food waste. And so just having having a consumer facing product, I think gives us a gives us greater awareness in other sectors than if we were selling it commercially. Um, but there's nothing that precludes us from from doing that. One thing I wanted to ask you about, and you, you're quite explicit on the on the website. Like you said, mm-hmm. it's not the full full commercial website, but it's about mm-hmm. the about the price of it. And you you've written a a long a long piece, which I'll I'll link to uh, in the notes for this this interview. But um, obviously, this is a sort of a product launch, and the the unit cost is high higher than it will eventually be. And I was just wanting to, I suppose, I wanted to ask you how how you expect to do that whether it's sort of just it's sort of economies as you scale will will naturally drive that down or if there are if, if there's anything else kind of going on behind there yes so we ended up with a more expensive bottle because we didn't want to use plastic and we wanted to use a material that was going to be as circular as possible so we went with aluminum Aluminum is infinitely recyclable and um, is actually more economical to make from recycled materials and raw materials, but it's a metal bottle. So it's more expensive than plastic. Um, And in in order to counteract that, um, when we launch, 
we are just going to sell refills for that bottle. So that bottle is going to be a one-time purchase. And then refills will be a fraction of that cost, which puts us in line with other um, reusable, refillable brands. So we're looking at the at the refills being probably about $3 each. Which is, I mean, that is in line, isn't it, with... Yeah. Um, sort of thereabouts. The I was really interested actually in in that article. Say, and if you know for the people listening, I, do, I definitely recommend sort of linking through and reading it. But you talked about your thinking, the decision to go with aluminium, and that it had a lot to do with a decision taken by China um, to stop accepting international recycling, essentially. Which I I think I'd sort of was vaguely aware of, but hadn't really properly absorbed the impact of so I did did a you know went down a bit of a rabbit hole reading about that ahead of this and I was just wondering was that decision around you know aluminium packaging for you was that made before that China decision would would some form of plastic have been viable before that you know would it have been recyclable enough to fit with your aims or would would it always have been aluminium no I think it always would have been um aluminium so the the China decision happened a while ago now. That was like a year or two ago. Hmm. And since then, more and more options for plastics recycling have gone away in that part of the world. But the thing is, though, is that recycling plastic isn't great in and of itself. <laughs> so, you know, it, even even though there's nowhere for it to go now, even when there was, it still wasn't a great solution. And it was kind of a Band-Aid and so regardless of of where the recycling industry is, I still think that we would have avoided plastic because it, I, I just feel like it's counterproductive. Why, why uh, make this product that we're making to try to remove waste from the environment, remove greenhouse gas emissions from the environment, as well as um, simplifying the supply chain? Because when we're making these ingredients from food waste, we're making them ourselves. We've, we're ma- we manufacture this product ourselves and make our ingredients, which is also very rare. And so we're cutting out the um, different stops along the supply chain. And we're also saving raw materials from being used as ingredients and products. But after all of that, if we were to put it in a plastic bottle, I just feel like that would be um, hypocritical. And that's not something that I would have wanted to do regardless, but in, in educating people about why we, we don't want to use plastic, that, that is one of the reasons. It's because even if you put it in your recycling bin, the odds are that it's not going to be recycled because there's no market for it. Yeah, that's, that's quite, a, quite an eye-opener. You know, if you sort of think we, we have Sort of blue bins quite often you know around here where it's sort of mixed mixed recycling everything goes in there and you feel that's taken care of you've sort of that's being recycled now somehow and um the reality is it really isn't like that it seems right and mixed recycling is actually a bit of a culprit in this uh, especially in the u.s we went towards something called single stream where all these different um technologies came out that would automatically sort recyclables and automatically sort trash from recyclables through optical sensors uh, and things like that. 
But then when you have a single stream or a mixed stream of recycling, then everything just gets kind of like mucked up. Um, and that's the reason why trying to stop accepting our plastics is because they were just so contaminated and so dirty. If you have someone who throws a bottle of soda in the recycling that still has soda in it, and then that gets crushed in a trash compactor, that soda is going to get all over everything else that was in that recycling bin, and then it's covered in soda. And then that makes that plastic less valuable and uh, more difficult to recycle. So it's, you know, one, one of the issues of why we're here is, is because we tried to make recycling easier for consumers by having it mixed, but then that actually means that it's not going to get recycled. Unintended consequences of mm-hmm. trying to trying to yeah trying to sort of make something easier. I, I suppose that was probably quite well intended, but uh, there we are. The um, you you also mentioned. I mean, not to sort of labour this, but you mentioned bioplastic as as sort of a um, something that is. I think you said is is not a is not a viable option at the moment. So you know that was discounted. But is is that something? I suppose firstly what. I mean, what is that for, for anyone that hasn't heard of it? And is that something that could become viable that could could answer this, or would it would it just would it have the same issues around end of life disposal, perhaps? Yeah, it depends on how it's developed and designed, and whether there's an economy for recycling it. So bioplastics, there are lots of different types of bioplastics. Generally, they're made by um, bacteria. So there's um, a one of the more common ones is called PLA, um, and it's made from lactic acid. A lot of the times, and this is, there's actually a, a great article about this recently that I read. Um, so a lot of the times, bioplastics are uh, mixed with other polymers. And so it's not purely a bioplastic. And they could have some petrochemicals in there okay. to make it more stable. So then you have something that's not a plastic and not a bioplastic, and it can't get recycled. Recycling processes for bioplastics don't currently exist. Um, they take too long to break down in a uh, compost pile. So generally, commercial compost facilities don't accept them. They're also really difficult to tell apart from regular plastic. So the easiest thing to do is when they come in to any kind of food waste facility, they get sorted out. So I like to say that they're that it's less bad if it ends up in the ocean, and it's not going to take as long to break down. But I think that um, bioplastics has a long way to go. Um, I try. I believe in it. Um, I'm. I, I support the the efforts in the industry to develop viable bioplastics. But just like anything else, it needs to be developed to be circular and not developed just to be something that is um, you know, used as greenwashing, you know, where it's a bioplastic, but it has some other polymers in it. Um, and then it can't be recycled and it's not truly a bioplastic. So I think that there just needs to be education and awareness and demand among consumers that, you know, if we're using bioplastic, that it's being developed in a way that will actually allow it to break down or be recycled and not just say that it's a bioplastic because it sounds nice. Yeah, not just uh, make you feel better about it. But no, that's so, 
aluminium. That makes uh, that makes a lot of sense. Another big part of that cost, um, looking at the breakdown that you put in, was was around shipping. And I was just mm-hmm. um, I was wondering, is that is that? I mean, are you planning at any point to? Would you like to? You know, hope for this to be picked up by retailers. Would that would that address or reduce that to some degree? Or is this? Do you think it's going to be sort of a direct to customer product for the long term? Um, so, yeah, we we do intend to have it picked up by retailers. Um, but that blog post is about direct consumer, and it, it, it doesn't really touch on what the pricing strategy is for retail. Um, and we're and we're not there yet. Um, but um, as a direct consumer product, you you have to factor in shipping, um, and that cost of shipping um, is about about five dollars is pretty common. Just to the. Um... I suppose to the more to the company itself, to Ambrosia. I mean, what are your plans? Are, are you fully focused on? Obviously, you're fully focused on Velas at the minute. Do you do you are you looking past the launch of that into other products, or is it um, sort of all about this for for the foreseeable future? We have a few projects that we're gearing up for. As I mentioned before, we're we're still very focused on the. Uh, water recovery and purification. We're also focusing on the uh, further separation and isolation of um, some of the compounds so that we could potentially um, sell those as commodities. And uh, aside from that, another main focus of ours is we are looking for partners um, for product development. So we're looking to work with other uh, consumer products companies, other manufacturing companies, other raw materials companies to try to specifically develop um, an alternative ingredient from food waste that's used in, you know, in in another product. And is there, um, I mean, I suppose the ones, people that I've spoken to previously on the podcast, the ones that spring to mind are people that have used food waste in kind of brewing in in mm-hmm. sort of beers and in and obviously and I remember I think it's just one of the conversations um that I had you know they, they were talking about how intensive a process that is in terms of water you know how much water input there is as well I mean is the the scale of what we're talking about and the and the you know the cost per whatever volume of that water is that have you talked with any potential partners in that sort of area? Is that, not, I don't know if that's something that's feasible. Not yet. Not not yet. That is something that we're looking at. Um, how to vertically integrate with products that require a lot of water. Because the thing is, we don't want to be shipping water around. Uh, again, that's counterproductive. And so how can we, um, how can we integrate on our site and work with a company um, that uses a lot of water to um, to make their product um, on our site. Are there any sort of early runners in this? You know, people that that you that you know that you really see kind of coming on board and and working with you. Is there, is there anyone particularly that you're looking to attract just at the minute, or any particular types of things that that sort of make sense? Mm-hmm. So um, we are in talks with a company that makes 
um, water-based floor coatings to potentially develop products for them and manufacture products for them with water um, recovered from food waste. I'm also very interested in textiles. So denim requires a lot of water. Um, And so looking for potentially a partner in um, the apparel space to develop um, textiles using water from food waste is something that I'm interested in. That sounds fascinating. That's um, if somebody's listening to this and you know was thinking that sounds like me or that sounds like somebody that I know, you know, that would be an ideal partner for you. How how would they go about getting in touch? Well, they can email hello at ambrosia.io, which is our general email address, and mm-hmm. um, and then we we can uh, field those ideas and and see if there's anything that we can do. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it sounds like there's a lot of a lot of stuff that would need to come together for for somebody to actually be a partner with you. But that's um, it's very uh, a fascinating idea, and uh, I'm sure that's exciting somebody listening. Yeah, hopefully, definitely. I'm happy to talk to anyone who has ideas of how we could work together. Brilliant. Um, just I suppose touching on the just still with these future plans and expansion that you're, I take. Are you fully US focused at this stage? Are you, when you launch, will there be, you know, the possibility of people further afield buying your products if they want to? Right now we're US based. I think we'll have to see how things go. Um, Again, you know, I I would prefer to keep things local just for the, just because I don't want to be shipping water all over the world. But I do believe that as a food waste solution, I do want to expand that internationally. And so I think that depending on um, what country we're in, we would be developing different products based on on the local markets um, and and who our potential partners end up being. But I I do see this overall um, in in terms of global expansion. It's, it's definitely a global problem, isn't it? So, mm-hmm. yes, yeah. Okay. Um, we tend to, um, I, just, I tend to ask a few more sort of more general and more just sort of quick fire questions towards the end of these interviews. And I, I might throw a few of those at you if, if that's all right. Sure. Sure. Um, so I thought I might ask you, in, in the context of food, if I say success, who do you think of? And why? When you say success, who do I think of and why? Yeah, I mean, does anybody spring to mind? Do you have a sort of a food hero or, a, you know, really just, I suppose, what it means to you? It's mm-hmm. uh, whatever, whatever that brings to mind. Um, I am a huge fan of the founder of Chobani, the yogurt company. Okay. I think that he has um, – so he, he started Shobani basically from nothing. He got a loan and took over a factory in New York State and grew that into Shobani. And he also did so um, very, I think, responsibly. I think that um, whatever I've read about the culture of that company, whatever I've read about um, 
you know, how he has um, treated their employees, how they have handled their expansion, how they you know, exist within the communities that they're in. Um, I think that he is someone that I really look to as, um, as a inspiration because I think that he, he grew that company responsibly mm-hmm. and he grew that company um, you know, ethically. And, um, and so, and, and I think that that's, you know, that that's something that's rare, unfortunately. It, it, yeah. To sort of um, see somebody who's really done it the right way, you know, the whole way through in all those ways that, that is, that is unusual. So that's uh, yeah, that's a great, a great answer. Um, what, what's your favorite thing to do that's got nothing to do with food? My favorite thing to do that's got nothing to do with food. Um, well, it was working out a lot. So I'm, I'm very into, um, going to hit classes, high intensity interval mm. training. Um, so I, it's great for stress management. I love just like running around and doing burpees and being miserable because it sort of takes me, it takes my head out of things. Um, I was recently injured and so I'm not doing that as much anymore and it's been very tough, but I would say that <laughs> I would say yeah. that, um, that, that just, um, being active and being active in a way that is, um, centering and is um almost meditative uh, it's something that's very important to me uh, right one more of these and then i think we'll wrap it up and i the one that i thought i might ask you is um if you could pick up the phone and talk to your 20 year old self what would you say to her trust your gut and chill out good advice <laughs> very good do you think she needed to, to hear that do you think Yes, I do. Trust your gut, definitely. Um, you know, be be confident in your decisions. Be confident in the direction that you're taking. Um, but also, like, you know, don't worry too much about all that at the same time, because not worrying about it will make you, you know, make better decisions and have a clearer head and and be able to, um, you know, to uh, have a handle on things. Yeah, no, that's great advice. All right. Well, I think we'll leave it there. Thank you so much for your time that's been really fascinating and you know i want to wish you all the best with the launch um you said in a couple of weeks time so we will i think possibly by the time this comes out you will be you will be live if that's mm-hmm. does that sound right yeah yeah probably well best of luck with all of that and i will um you know make sure we sort of put all the various links and bits and pieces if people want to look more into everything that we've talked about um, for themselves. Do you, is there anywhere that in addition, anything that you'd like people to, um, who are still listening with us to sort of go away and do or look at or go to, would it just be the website or is there, is there anything else that you'd like people to, to see? Hmm, Excellent question. Um, No, I think um, just head to the website. So the website for the cleaner is um, velas.com. It's V-E-L-E-S. Um, and so there will be more information there. And um, we're also building out our Instagram presence. So definitely follow us there. We'll be talking about all sorts of things related to sustainability and food waste and you know corporate responsibility. 
And so that's something where, you know, we, we really want to carve out a voice there. So if you're interested, you um, follow us on Instagram. Perfect. All right. Well, I will, I will put the link for that in as well. So, you know, whoever's listening to this, you should be able to just click on below and, and go straight there. Um, right. Thank you so much okay. for your time and, and best of luck with LS. All right. Thank you so much.